the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Total Financial Hour is brought to you by Total Financial Solutions. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Hey, welcome to the show. Learn from Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. Great to have you with us. Special edition. Say, why is it so special? Well, simple. It's a Mother's Day edition. That means, of course, I have my mom with me today. Uh, we're going to talk about things that you should have learned from your mom. Most of us were taught by our mom when it comes to financial savings, uh, money management, but more importantly, uh, the idea and understanding of what I call common sense. Now, you might say, well, well, gosh, that means you might be just offending people. Well, maybe we might offend a few people because common sense isn't as common, right? Because it has a name for it. It's like there's a reason that Chinese food in America is called Chinese food. And when you go to China, it's called food. It's simple because it's everywhere there. And here, hey, you got to delineate the two. Uh, But in all seriousness, when we're talking about financial strategies, we're talking about ways you should have been saving, things you should have been doing for your family, for your mom, or, or that you learned from your mom, your dad. This is important because a lot of us don't understand that it it wasn't always this easy to get credit. It wasn't always this easy to go buy a car or a house. You had to save. Today, if you fog a mirror, you get a loan. We've talked about that before. That means if you've got a pulse, right, as long as you, and sometimes they help you move your hand to sign your name, just sign here. All right. Let me bring in the special lady of the hour. Her name is Donna Hallaby. Hi, Mom. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. I'll have to get a little closer to that mic. Oh, there you go. There you go. How's that? Very good. So uh, I think this is your first time on AM 870, isn't it? Yes, it is. Kind of so ex- be gentle. <laughs> yeah, I will be gentle. <laughs> you know, a lot of times um, I don't think people know the things that you did in, in life when you were uh, a young woman. You were married at such a young age. Tell me about that. I was married uh, a month after I turned 18. I met my husband on my birthday, and then we married in September. And about two months later, we came down here from Michigan with a carload of wedding gifts and our clothes, and that's it. With an address. And $100 in our pocket. Amazing, isn't it? When you think about back then, the idea of starting out new and, and driving across the country. What was so special about California? Why California? Why not Texas or Michigan, I mean, or Oregon or, or even stay in Texas? Why? Uh, I mean, in Michigan, why didn't you just stay there? There's no opportunity up there. Even in the 60s, there were, there were no opportunities for uh, a young lady like me. I had two choices, get married, go in the service. There really was no, and my, fa- my father was a farmer, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom with six children, obviously. So did a lot of the money that you guys uh, earned as a family, it came from farming, but was there, did you feel like there was an abundance? You had uh, no, you know, a new no. pair of shoes every month? No, not at all. Uh, uh, we did a lot of hand I had four brothers, so number one gave to number two and so on. Yeah. And... Uh, it was uh, a little difficult because mom was uh, not a savings kind of person. Uh, so she was more of a spender back then. So absolutely. in that period of time, when you don't have a lot of extra dollars, uh, folks, your habits, your hobbies, the way you think and see money affects generations I mean, it can, it can affect people for a long time. If you think you have bad habits, if you've been told time and again that your financial habits or you, you giggle and look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm the spender, or $100 burns a hole in my pocket, that's not something to be proud of. You know, financially speaking, I want you to think twice about that. 
unless you're willing to work your whole life or be broke your whole life, that's fine, but just don't have children, folks, because you're bringing the rest of the world that had no choice to be your family. So uh, I, I share that with you, not so lighthearted, but to, for you to understand that, first of all, as a financial show, your hobbies, your habits impact the way you spend money. So you and uh, you and Dad, four and a half weeks from hello to I do. Absolutely. That was uh, 1964. Mm-hmm. Drove out to California. He had a friend out here that he had met uh, in Virginia, actually. And uh, so we landed, so to speak, in Anaheim. And we stayed with them for about two weeks or so. Was that the Hamseys? I know, that was... Uh, Oh, it's okay. ML. That's uh, all right. Amos Schaub. Okay. So here we have a, a new friend, new family that, yeah. that comes here. Uh, fast forward a little bit. I understand that throughout time, you had a, a 11 months later, my sister, my older sister was born. Absolutely. And you went through this time of, of saving and investing, but mostly you were putting it back into a business because you guys had a small small business. What was that first small business? The first business that my husband and I had was uh, a bar, actually. And, you know, we didn't see too much profit. It all, like you said, goes back into the business. And uh, after that, we I think he had three more bars. And uh, We well, had a bakery in there, too. We you had, had a bakery. Pita bread bakery. Actually, I was pregnant with Fatet, with my, my oldest. Yes. When we had this bakery, and I remember putting uh, bread at one end of a, uh, a conveyor belt, conveyor belt, and bread would come out the other end, and it was approximately you put dough like, on one side, it'd go through it, a conveyor belt, through the oven, out come the other side, right? And you're putting it into these plastic bags, what? right? And Mike would deliver. He took out the back seat of our Ford that we brought <laughs> down here, yeah, and put in. Who loads deliver- and loads of bread. Who's he delivering this to? Restaurants? I guess? Restaurants, uh, uh, businesses, markets, okay. uh, uh, whoever. And you, you had know, that, that for time. a period of time? We had that for probably six months, maybe a year. Another business along the way was a cafe. Yeah, that was at Whiteman Airport. We had a small cafe over there with all the pilots coming in. and Whiteman Airport in San Fernando. Right. And at that time, you were born. So I had you in a little playpen out in the back while I was working in the cafe. I'm still scarred from that, by yes, the way. I should I have been I'm, at a, I'm sorry at a that, sitter honey. hearing Chopin <laughs> and uh, playing with colorful Barney <laughs> figures. And hearing all the planes go by. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a love for flying, I think. So. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. So, um, and then, of course, so we moved from one house in Van Nuys when you were... Um, probably a year old or so, to Panorama City. And that was uh, a rental. And, and then I think our, our payment was like $180 a month. So here's an interesting lesson. You had numerous businesses before you bought a house to buy, to live in. Mm-hmm. Folks have come and heard any of my classes. You know, I teach some financial classes now and again and will speak and write articles. I always say the key to wealth is simple. Never, and rarely do I say never in financial world, but never buy a house to live in until you have saved, bought your business, put money in your business, or if that's not your thing, you've bought a rental property, something that's going to make you money because it's simple. Why would you want to work the rest of your life? Well, Eric, when it's paid off, no, no, no. You have taxes, you have insurance, you have a new roof. You understand you never pay off a house. You know, Mom, when I was in China, uh, we were touring, and of course, I, I, I was asking, you know, what is communism like in business and buying houses and rental property and, 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 and uh, buildings? They said, well, in China, you never own the land. You have a 99-year lease. And people on the bus were like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe that. They said, no, no, you own the structure, but you don't own the property. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's incredible. That's horrible. They said, well, the government can renew it for another 99 years, or you can renew it for another 99 years. But if they don't, they have to pay you for a like structure on another piece of property. So they can't just take it. They have to pay you for it. That's the, the law. And people were just, you know, not in California, not in the United States. We own our... And then I stopped and I said, have you heard of property taxes? That's your lease. What's the difference? Exactly. You, so don't think 
that because you own a house and you live there and it's paid off, that you're still not going to have expenses. Anybody who owns a home knows that. Exactly. So You've you, got insurance and taxes. That's right, and it never goes away. But in your case, you guys had numerous businesses before you went through and, uh-huh. and bought a house to live in. Mm-hmm. So fast forward now, you have uh, me and then two other uh, daughters. Right. What was dad doing when my next sister was born? Uh I believe Noel. I th- believe he was in produce. Yep. And he made very. Uh, you know, when you go to the hospital, you write down what your occupation is. That's right. Yeah. He says, "I'm a producer." A producer. <laughs> and we've got three children at this point. And so he was. So that was instead his... of a produce guy. He was a producer. <laughs> he was a producer. <laughs> you know, so. I remember the the time, folks. You know, sometimes you'll hear me say, um, you know, some of the racial. The tensions, and I remember a lot of times in the 60s, right, we had the Watts riots, a lot of craziness. And it wasn't until sometime, I don't know, whenever I was probably a teenager when I learned this, that during this tumultuous race relations, it was an African-American doctor that delivered me. Yes, it was. And I was so scared that your dad wouldn't allow him into the room. Yeah, that, it was a tough I, time, folks. Very tough, very tough. And this man ends up delivering... Mm-hmm. My dad's, you know, first and only son, mm-hmm. ultimately, we figured. and it changes a culture. When you have an understanding from a depth of racial relations, you know, it's economics, it's education. It isn't a force-fed ideologue from some, uh, as they say, limousine liberals or these liberals that fly to global warming conferences on their private jets. Have you ever seen the Davos? <laughs> have you ever seen some of these? <laughs> it's incredible. What was it? Uh, was it? Uh, oh gosh, who was the guy that uh, that got in trouble? He was a political candidate, not Gary Hart for the Democratic. Uh, I'll remember him. Joe lived in Tennessee. He had a house that used more electricity than the local town. It wasn't Al Gore? Give me somebody what else. Uh, he was got in trouble for campaign stuff and actually got convicted for a little bit. Good-looking guy. They thought he was the next John F. Kennedy. I'll remember his name in a minute. Some of you might know it. Certainly give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. Maybe you'll win a flag. 888-99-RETIRE. If you can remember that guy. Good-looking guy. Edwards. Ah, beat you to it. John Edwards. John Edwards. Yeah, John Edwards. What a slime ball. But I mean that in the nicest way, right? Because it's Mother's Day, so you can say it like that. <laughs> All right. We're going to continue. I've got a few more questions for you, Mom. Because we're talking about some of the lessons now, right? You made mistakes. You, you did well. You, did, you had good days, bad days, good years, bad years. What is it that you would say through that lesson of having children now, going through that uh, process, if you will, of growing up as a young lady, right? 18 years old, 22, 25, and you have four children. Mm-hmm. I think you were 25 years By old. 28. By 28. By 28, I had four, yes. By 28 years old, four kids. What were some of the lessons that you learned, you think? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm not sure how, how to, to really put it in words. It, it was a, to me, it was a good ordeal. I'm saying ordeal in, a, in the nicest way because I was alone a lot of times because, obviously, your dad was working. I was a stay-at-home mom until my youngest one was about 13. So you had to learn to manage everything I had to in learn to manage uh, his business and the house and you kids and you know it's always you know mom dad I want this I want that uh, and sometimes we could say yes and sometimes we could say no. We had to say no. I remember uh, my favorite story. Sort of time check. I'll tell it in a few minutes. I'm going to tell it in, in uh, a few minutes because I'm going to tell you a story because I think it's going to be a little emotional. We're going to need the break to recover. <laughs> All right. How about uh, learning from your mom, spending less money than you make? That was a big, big thing that we learned. Uh, okay. Uh, Saving for a rainy day was not an impossible conversation. No. you. Uh, we started, uh, hopefully, I think we started with Fatat. It, it could be you with a little bit of a bank account, a Christmas club. Yes. At that time, it was called Christmas Club. And we put, uh, you know, whatever extra money. Uh, 
because when I was a kid, I was 12 when I started babysitting. When you kids were that age, it was um, not a good atmosphere around to have a child go out of the house and be in someone else's home. Yeah, it yeah, it I just very uncomfortable for us to have anyone to have any of my children out in in the world. Well, so we had we had a, a paper out. And you would wake oh up, remember gosh. that, the summer of 1979, we had a paper out delivering the green that. sheet, if you guys remember the Daily News. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, both me and my older sister, yep. and we had to get up, it was dark, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 4.30, whatever it was, mm-hmm. get out to the curb where they had dropped off the papers, yeah. and you had to cut the thing, and we sat on the curb underneath <laughs> the street light. And you'd go to the right, go to the left, bring it together, <laughs> fold it up, throw it over your shoulder, and do it again yep. until you... We did, I can't remember how many, 125 or something, something seems like, like the number. So we did all of these papers. Then we loaded them in the car, and we went in and woke you up, got into the car. From there, we would sit. You guys, this is insane. This is the sit old. Sit on the side of the window. Sit on the door. <laughs> on the door of the with window. With the window yeah. open. <laughs> hold on, mm-hmm. and the, the other kid would be in the back seat until it was our turn. Then we would shift, and they'd hand us the newspapers, and we'd throw them either over the hood of the car. You'd go down at five miles an hour or something. <laughs> Or we throw it behind us, over our shoulder, wherever we would, all throughout <laughs> Silmar and San Fernando. And we would deliver these newspapers and make money. I don't remember how much it was, but I do remember we made some money. And that was part of our job was to go door to door and collect mm-hmm. and sometimes to even sell. Some, sometimes to even sell one or two or three new um you know, new papers along the way. Right. So that was important because it taught young people work ethic. Getting up early at 12, uh, 1979, I was uh, 12, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. It taught us to wake up early, taught us to go to work. It taught us to go and sell, to collect money, to not be shy about speaking to people. And you were there for us during that period of time. Uh, yeah, in getting the nothing. rain, in the cold. <laughs> Except whatever it was. You remember that? It was uh, a Winchell's Donut at the end, if you guys remember Yes, Winchell's, Winchell's Donut, yeah. yes. It sounds like we have a uh, caller on the line. Uh, hey, caller, how are you? Hi, Mom. Hey there, how are you? Hi, Mom. She's not going to be able to hear you. Put on your ears there, Mom. <laughs> oh. oh, yes. Okay. Put her ears on. <laughs> oh. There you go. So, right. So, uh, Hi, this Mom. sounds this sounds oh. like a caller. Hello. <clears throat> yes, uh, yes, this is Amira. Hey, Amira, how are you? <laughs> yeah, we'll put I'm that a little bit well. louder. I do there remember the Winchell Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Winchell Donuts at the end of the paper route, which I, by the way, was not being paid for. That's right. <laughs> I so just went along for the ride. We would bring the, the baby <laughs> sister, and her job was to sit in the back seat. And Yeah, she's six, seven years old. Yeah, can you imagine today, uh, guys, having your mom drive you in a car, and you're sitting on the door jam? One is uh, how many parents would allow. We didn't wear seatbelts. He okay. sat in the back of pickup trucks. It is now illegal. Yeah, yeah. just to let you know. Uh, yeah, just in case you know you weren't <laughs> sure of how to be a good mom, the government is there for you to make sure that you uh, don't allow your children to. Uh, you know, and every time one of these funky laws or rules are passed, okay, yeah, I guess it's a good idea, whatever. But think about this: Do you understand that you you abrogate your responsibilities to the government? Mothers are are getting less responsibility and less accountability, ask anybody that coaches a football team or a kid's baseball team. How many parents come out? A cheerleading squad, I want to say it's back in New York, it could be New Jersey, has said, you cannot, New Jersey, you cannot. If somebody tries out for the cheerleading team, they have to be hired. They have to be you know, given it. It's a high school team. Like, Are you kidding me? What yeah. do you teach your kids? Because you show up, because you breathe, because you succeed? It's great. I'll tell you why it's great. Because those of you that teach your children that, I've taught my kids to compete and that sometimes they will fail. So your kids, if you teach them that mindset that everybody gets a trophy, that's okay. Because a dollar doesn't care about your political beliefs. Financially, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You guys had to live, Mom, without credit cards. Horrible time. Oh, my gosh. How did you make it work? It's called cash. Oh, that's like a four-letter word now. Sorry. It's called whatever you have in your pocket. That's right, cash. Cash. That means you would go save it up. So if somebody asked for something, one of the kids, you'd say, well, not yet. Wait till next week. 
or next month, whatever it had to be, because your dad was self-employed, so he did not get a paycheck every Friday. He worked from uh, from cash only yeah. deals. It wasn't it wasn't uh, I'll pay you next month kind of thing. It was. I give you product, you give me dollars. Yeah, cash today. Cash today, that's it. The credit idea, so you understand, folks, from the diners club world, it was a group of restaurants. People would run around Mm -hmm. from restaurant to restaurant, borrow money until next Tuesday or next Friday, like Wimpy's hamburgers. Remember? Mm -hmm. Popeye and Wimpy's, I'll pay you for a hamburger today. And when you would do that... I'll eat a hamburger today and pay you on Tuesday. Remember that? That's (laughs) Popeye, right? Wimpy? Yeah, Wimpy. I don't know why I remember that. It's because it's a hamburger. (laughs) I have my favorite hamburger restaurants. You also walk along and you think about this. I mean, growing up, we didn't get everything we wanted, did we? Nope. What's the reason for that? Didn't love us? No. Mom loved us more than mom would ever say she loved us. Everything she did was for us. And yet, every single day... We didn't... We didn't get everything we wanted because there wasn't money for it. It had yeah. nothing to do with love. So, folks, so many of you equate with buying more stuff for your kids because that's how you, you transfer time with them, so I'm going to buy them stuff. Uh, paying attention to them, so I'm going to buy them stuff. Financially, you're not teaching your children the best. You know, one of my favorite stories, I was about 11 years old, 12 years old, and I needed a new bike, wanted a new bike. I had the little kid's bike, and I was growing up to the new bike. And we went to Fedco over, I think it was San Fernando Mission in Balboa, the San Fernando Valley. And we go over to this, if you guys remember the Fedco. might have been FedMart. I don't remember. No, it was Fedco. Fedco. You walk in. There were two bikes. One was, I think it was $89, and one was $109. And Dad had given you $100 to buy me a bike and $20 for you to buy shoes. So we go to the store, and, and I said, oh, Mom, look at the shiny white one. You said, oh, but this black one has a neat little. And I said, I, I know, but look at the white one. Well, the white one was $109. The black one was uh, $89. And I would sit on it. You know, you drive it up, ride it up and down the aisles. And I thought, this is it. This is my bike. Fancy red wheels, white frame. And you bought it for me. And I rode it in the parking lot, like heaven forbid, without a helmet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And we rode it over. As you were walking to the car, I rode it around a little bit and and, popped a couple of little wheelies as an 11 or 12-year-old kid does. Put it in the car, drove home. Dad, Dad, look at my bike. And he turned to you and he said, great, now let me see your shoes. And you said, well, you know, the bike was was more than, so I didn't buy shoes for myself. And he said, well, what do you mean? I gave you $20 to buy you shoes. Yes, but... But Eric really wanted the white bike, and it was for my birthday. Mm-hmm. I remember that now. So it was my 12-year-old birthday. And that was a, it was an argument in the family. It was pivotal because Dad said, but I gave you money to buy shoes. And you said, yes, but uh, I can probably go with whatever you had uh, for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. You see, that's what a mother does. A mother doesn't just go buy something for a kid on credit because it can be there. In, a, in exchange for your love, they do it because it's a sacrificial gift. It actually impacts them. And I think that's the difference. We're going to take a break here in a few minutes, guys, but I want you to give us a call. You have a, a story about your mom? I'd love to hear it at 888-99-RETIRE, 888 Amir, hey, any parting uh, thoughts here? It's my sister, by the way, Amir Mendias. Um. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to tell mom happy Mother's Day and um, thank you for everything. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day to you too. Amira has an amazing young man. Right when you lose hope in humanity and the young generation, folks, you look at Amira's son. And Amira's son is one of those young millennials that uh, give you hope that there's a future. Really. Because an 18-year-old kid graduating this year and responsible and honorable, those are big deals. All right, folks, uh, thank you for calling, Amira. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you, uh, talk to you a little later. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, honey. Saving for a rainy day. Now, listen, we talked about uh, borrowing, but 
you guys didn't borrow just to borrow to pay groceries. But I remember there were times when dad needed a new car and he didn't just rush out and buy the fanciest, flashiest new car. Usually he bought new cars that were used cars. Mm -hmm. And he did that for what reason? Uh... I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Probably financially is what I'm uh, guessing. Of course. It always comes down to finance and uh, any way you look at it. And I don't think I ever had a new car up until maybe late 90s. Yeah. It was, it was all uh, used cars and you kids. When you started driving, do you remember the car you used to drive? I, I had an Oldsmobile Cutlass was mm. my orange that thing was fast, by the way. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know, but it can burn rubber, just, just so you know. Just so you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got our licenses at 16 years old. I remember my I, <laughs> I called up. I didn't know you had to make an appointment for your driving <laughs> test. I called up a day or two before my birthday, and, and they, they gave me a, a date that was about a week after my birthday. I thought, you're kidding me. I have to wait a week? <laughs> Back in the day. Now kids wait till they're 18, 19, 20, 25. They're like, Uber's good. Yep. I can take a lift. Mom, you could drive me places. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a minute. 888 retire You got a story about mom, love to hear it. 888-997-3847. I'm Eric Hallaby, special edition of Mother's Day with my mother, Donna Hallaby. On your place for news, talk, and information, this is AM870, The Answer. strategy, learn from Arif Hallaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial power. We're back. Total Financial Solutions, Safer Money Hour. I'm Eric Halby. This is our special edition. Thanks for joining us. Your very first teacher ever. You learn about financial strategies from me today, but your very first teacher was probably your mom. For many people, your mother was the one who stayed at home with you, for most of you. And when I say mothers, we're talking about grandmothers, aunts, sometimes older sisters. A lot of times in your life, stepmothers, right? A stepmother has often, in many of my friends' lives, been the mother. Because sometimes, just like other human beings, right? Surprise, your mom is a human being. They can suffer from things like addiction or mental illness or self-esteem issues. And sometimes they take a back seat, often for your benefit, right? Sometimes we are so selfish, we think that a mother's involvement or or uninvolvement in our life is because of us. Sometimes, folks, they leave because of us. Sometimes it is not in their place to raise you because they can't even take care of themselves. I know many people who've... who've, uh, been raised by their fathers and their new stepmom. And the mom comes in and out like a father, right? Like a traditional uh, stepdad who, who is barely involved. There are some mothers that are barely involved. So give honor where it's due, including in that stepmother's life. Because she put time and money into you. She didn't have you. It's not a, it's not a quote, natural thing for a stepmom or even a stepdad to come in and to be that father or to be that mother, and yet they do. They're special people. If you're blessed to still have your mom with us, like I am, then don't forget, they're going to teach you lessons in life. They're going to teach you things that very few people will ever spend any more time for you because they just don't care like a mom. Thanks for joining me, Mom. Donna Hallaby. Hello. Welcome to the show. Uh, Okay, so a couple of things. We, we want to make sure that there's that when we get through junior high and high school, what is it that a mom spent a lot of time talking about? Probably graduation. graduation. Joe, can we have the mic up? When we say graduation, I don't mean graduation just from kindergarten, but from? High school, important. junior high, college, if that's in their, in their future. Because you guys spent a lot of time emphasizing uh, a couple of things through elementary school. And one of those was you were a noon aide. I don't know yeah, what they call uh, it today, but yeah. but uh, I was talking with my daughter the other day, Aunt Amber, and I said, uh, you know, uh, she said something. I said, you know, Grandma was a noon aide. Mm-hmm. And I remember I couldn't get away with anything. No, I'm in elementary school. I'm running around the playground doing something. And if I did something wrong, 
the little kids, the girls, the boys would come up and say, Mrs. Hallaby, do you know what Arif did? And in that circumstance, you're harder on your own child than you are on anyone else because I can get away with hitting you. <laughs> I can't get away. At that That's time, right. I probably could. But you can't get away with uh, reprimanding another person's child. Now, spanking even happened in Mr. White, the principal's oh, yes. office. Mr. White. Yeah, the principal actually mm-hmm. had a paddle with holes in it. And the reason the holes, two reasons. One, it would go a little faster. You'd get a little <laughs> bit of RPMs going. And uh, two is it would leave a mark. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I was never one of those kids. But I did have cousins that uh, that went through uh, Mr. White's office on occasion. I don't think any of my children had to do that, uh, go through that with Mr. White. No. They went through it with me. Yeah, with Mrs. Hallaby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can be tough, but there's a reason for it. Because you don't raise... You don't raise children. You raise adults. I've always said that. And I don't know where it ever came from. But you're not raising a child because a child grows up. If a child at five, six, seven doesn't have respect for other people, for authority, how do you think that as an adult when he's 20, 25, is going to respect his boss, his wife? his girlfriend, his children. How do you think that's going to happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens through training and listening to your mom. And hopefully mom has a lot of things, good things to say and to help you through childhood, teenage years, which I can't remember any of my kids' teenage years being really bad because I had... An open door policy with you kids. If do you remember this? Yeah, for if, sure I do. If you had a question, a problem, I said, "Okay, make an appointment with me." And it's you and I in my room with the door shut and the other kids knew not to open that door until we came out. And I used that process through all four of you, and I remember it it was nice. It was good for me too because it kept it it let me know how you are. You, I have four kids, but I'll tell you what: there's four different personalities. Yes, that's right. Four different likes and dislikes, and it all comes down to the one constant in all of your lives is me. You know, you did something uh, that very few young women would do, and I say young woman now as a fifty year old guy, but. Uh, that I think you were 29 or 30 years old when the Civil War in Lebanon. Yes. Now, you're a Michigan farm girl, I like to say, Mm -hmm. and Dad is uh, from Lebanon. He left when he was 17, 18 years old, went to Africa. He was there for about a decade and then came to the United States. But his family was still in Lebanon. And in the Civil War, he went back there, was gone for for two months. Yeah. And brought out, uh, ultimately, over 40 members of his family to the United States. And they would stay with us, predominantly would stay with us. And you have an 1,100-square-foot house, <laughs> three bedrooms, two baths. Great for us as a little family. But add in another family of three or four or five or six. And my bedroom became somebody else's bedroom. And then, it, and so my bedroom was your, your uh, living room, the living room floor or your bedroom floor and then back and forth. We put all the three sisters in one bedroom uh, and rotated people through that house. Mm-hmm. But to this day, my cousins who came here speaking no English— your job was to get them registered into school. Uh, my job was to kind of take them around and show them my friends, the ones that were you know, in the same elementary school that I was at the time. And it was to teach them what it was like to be an American. Nobody ever told them, don't keep your culture, don't speak the language that, uh, of your birth. Nobody ever said that. But we did say, if you want to be successful, this is America. We speak English. Assimilate. Or be poverty-stricken. Mm-hmm. And you taught them everything from English to this is the DMV. I remember they didn't even know. These are folks from the villages of Lebanon, folks in the mountains, before the Internet, before television, oh, yes. before color TV came to any of their homes in, in, the, in the, the mountains. And I remember you had to teach them how a washer machine worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the fundamentals, because... Uh, 
I was given that task, and it wasn't uh, because I wanted it, so to speak. It was because these people needed help. They were your dad's relatives. They were your relatives. Essentially, it, they were my relatives. I still have nieces and nephews that come up to me and in tears will tell me. All the time. Thank you. They think of you, you as their angel, exactly. their savior. They do. You were the only opening to this country. They saw the United States. They saw the American culture through you. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think because of my background, I think that helped me. And, you know, when you're raising children, when you're raising adults, you either do as your parents do or do the exact opposite. And I took six of one and a half dozen the other. So it was a trial as you went. You just, you just do what you need to do. You do what you have to do at you, that time. Well, you emphasize the same values of saving money and graduating and spending what you have, those same financial values, those same, uh, uh, if you will, mothering to young people that didn't understand the value of a high school diploma. That wasn't important in Lebanon. It was no. how to learn an, a collision, how, how to learn to use a Kalishnikov, right? An AK forty-seven. Exactly. Uh, how to uh, stand at a checkpoint and keep people from coming in your home or in your village. The war was a serious thing. The Civil War went on for more than a decade. You guys and and these are young people that were rescued when my dad went to Lebanon and brought these people out. Do you understand? He left a wife with four children behind. Not email or let's Skype every uh, every no. night before you go to bed. And there was no such thing. No. I just relied on God to make him, to have him be safe and to be able to do what he needs to do. Uh, and I was on the other end of this. I was... He was. He would throw them, and I would catch them. That's right, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> he would send them. Landed. He would send and... them. I went and picked them up. Uh, How did you know who was who? I had no I idea. Looked... I still don't know who's who. Sometimes, <laughs> you know. There's he's what two hundred, three hundred. I was going to uh, say he's got like two hundred people around here right now. A lot of Halloween's. Yes, it's funny how so many of them, you know, they're married now. They have children, and uh, I don't know if there's any. Great grandchildren yet in that for for in that generation. For grandma? Um, well, no, for yes, for her, but not for. In, in other words, for um, um, I, let's say he brought over somebody that was fourteen. Uh, I don't they don't. Think so. They're not grandkids yet. No. They don't have grandkids it would yet. Yeah, be, it would be grandkids, a, not great grandkids. Yeah, a yeah. couple. But what you're thinking about is this: those two or three hundred people, their children, the values that those children of the children that were ca that came here. Mm -hmm. You understand that those people learn from their parents. And if their parents weren't present or didn't understand the culture, didn't understand the values of the United States, those my cousins learned it from you. Mm -hmm. and, well, and, their their parents most of them spoke English obviously, uh, uh, you know, and French because it's a French yeah, it was a colony, French colony so, to, yeah. so to speak. And I I remember at one point uh, with the kids in my home and my brother-in-law's home, I had 15 children of Hallowee's in the elementary school, which was two blocks from my house. Do you remember that? I remember. Uh -huh. I had one year I, I got into, I don't know, three or four fights, and it was because they were picking on my cousin, mm -hmm. Rabia. Remember I can believe her? that, yes. And they were picking on Susie, my two, uh, two female cousins that were about my age. Mm-hmm. And as those people were doing that, the, the young kids, because they couldn't speak English very well, and I remember being pulled aside, but you were there all the time. You were there all the time. You would come to the school. You would have oh, a conversation absolutely. with the teachers. Uh, they knew that if there was a problem, they would have to deal with you, mm -hmm. not because you were one of these helicopter moms that my kid has to play soccer and don't yell at Jimmy because he missed the ball, not because of that, but because of the right and wrong the morality of te treating kids the same with honor and integrity. And you did that and emphasized that through the school. Because in junior high school, when I got into a fight, and I, ha I had to, uh, I, it was with David. I won't use his last name because he's probably <laughs> still alive. <laughs> and it's because he stole the kid's pencil in front of me in the lunch line. No joke. 
Uh-huh. And I said, hey, give him his pen back. Uh, or give him his pencil back. And David uh, said, no. You know, this kid is uh, you know, a head and a half taller than me. Uh, and he took the pencil, and I said, give him his pencil back. And he said no, and then he broke the pencil in half, and he handed it back to him. So I punched him, and then we were in trouble. <laughs> right, so okay, so little kids, you know, they grab you by the scruff of the neck, man. In no time, you're, I don't know how, where that teacher came from. They come <laughs> like little ninjas, man. They come, and they grab you, and off you're in the, and I remember sitting there. I was so, so sad in the principal's office. You come in. And I was, you know, fourth from the front of the line. And you said, what happened? And I tell you what happened. All right, let's go. And I was suspended for the day or whatever that's called for the day. Go home. And on the, on the drive home, you said, did you end up having lunch? I said, no. I was fourth from the front of the line. You hungry? Yes. And we went and got a quick sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, to, just, to, just to be clear, I don't reward you for bad no, behavior. No, you don't. But you, you, I, what you did is you listened to me. I listened to you and I rewarded you. It was a justifiable punch. For, yes, I, I still for sticking up for whoever it was. <laughs> it could have been a cousin. It wasn't which, in this particular case. Which you always stood up for your cousins. And they are very grateful for that. Because they they got through high school, <laughs> they did, and they got through junior high. And I think every single one of the kids whose lives you touched, and we're talking about the seventies and the eighties, because some of them came over in tenth, eleventh grade. Right, right. So yeah, exactly. It wasn't all elementary schools because there were right. many of them. Uh, I don't know of any that didn't graduate high school. Um, I think every single one of them. Many of them I went think, on to college. Yes. Many of them went on to become engineers or scientists. Yes, I've got. We've. We're very proud of the idea that we had one uh, that worked in NASA. That's right. Uh, another one was uh, is in. Oh, he might be retired by now. Some of these kids are retiring. Yeah, for some of them sake. are a little older. And uh, they, uh, engineers uh, working for a huge company. I remember one was a chemist for quite yes, some time. Yes, yes. A lot of business owners. So the point uh, yes. is, the life or the impact of a mother doesn't always have to be. The, the birth direct descendant mother. It is somebody who takes over the life of being what a mother should be. And sometimes you have mothers that are absent because of language barriers or drug addiction or, or mental illness or Whatever other case reasons. And you were that mom that stepped up, not just in the lives of us four, but you were the mom that stepped up in the lives of dozens of young people who came to this country with <laughs> zero English and within six months spoke it fluently well, because you I, wouldn't allow them to speak anything but English in the house as long as they were with us. Yeah. That, that's, that's called uh, assimilation, I think. That's right. Immersion. That it's Im- Immersion. Uh, whatever you call it, back in the day it was called, if you want something to eat, tell me what it is. If you want something to drink, tell me what it is. Don't point. Don't I? I know a lot. Uh, you knew a lot more Arabic. I knew, than you I knew a lot more Arabic, but that's not that's not me living in Lebanon. It's the children, and the children are very uh, sponge-like. That's right. They will grasp how quickly they these kids they learned English. did it was so well, and even now, um, they're both obviously they're fluent in both languages. Oh, completely and. And the point that matters is that they are in America. They have to learn English. Listen, if I went down to Mexico or if I went to the Philippines, Mm -hmm. if I went to uh, China, I'd have to learn the language Mm -hmm. in order to be successful. You don't ask the rest of the community to change. And I don't think by asking these young people in the 70s to speak English that you're disrespecting their culture. Nobody says it's a bad thing. I, I wish to this day I could speak Arabic, but I'm grateful my only success comes because, oh, by the way, I speak English. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, when when you speak both languages, your opportunities are open. That's right. When you, when you are here in the United States, especially these people that came in the 70s, they wanted to learn English. They wanted to be here. They, they didn't want to fight anymore. They, I had 12-year-old kids that would uh, cower in the corner because we, we lit a birthday candle. That's right. Oh, I remember that. Do you That's remember right. that? Yeah. Because she saw fires and people on fire and gunfire. And 
things that a 12-year-old child should never, ever see in their lifetime. You were able to teach these folks, uh, our relatives to this day, to practice gratitude. Even though they went through heck, even though they came here, some of them didn't want to be here, right? They, they wanted to be away from that, but they didn't always necessarily want to come here because they felt like their home, uh, they left with a suitcase. That was about it. That was it. But you taught them to practice gratitude. And that is an important component, no matter where you are and no matter your situation. Mm-hmm. Now there are, I would say, at least 10, maybe to 15 people that have built houses or building houses in Lebanon. That's right. For their for their summer. I That's mean, right. yeah. They, and they, and they, they went did. back. They went back. They keep going back. They, they didn't lose Lebanon. They they didn't lose. They gained a country. That's right. And there, a lot of them are citizens. Yeah, I think almost all of them are now. I, think I don't they know. All I don't are. know of anybody that isn't. And one of the things that that you did that was different is. By teaching, some of them learned business skills, mm-hmm. not just from dad, but they learned business skills uh, from uh, just their nature. The Lebanese nature seems to be oh, to own a business. That's what they are. Entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I'm thinking of one specifically, and they own a, uh, a produce, and they've branched out to fish as well, distribution company. Mm-hmm. And they go to a lot of these farmers markets, and they have a, it's not a Monday through Friday, nine to five with a pension plan no. and health benefits job. It's a, it's a job. It's a company. It's a business that provides very well for many members of their family. Yes. And the point of that conversation with them when I, I spoke to them one time and I asked them about it, they backed up and they said, Arif, it's almost like they remind me every other time, Arif, you know, you wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for your mother. And you, you never taught them how to run a fish business or produce business. It wasn't that, that they're talking about. They said, Arif, we wouldn't have any of this. You know, your mother is so special. And I thought, Wow. Even so many years later, the way they thought. Pretty incredible, huh? Yeah, it, it, it is. I, uh, I'm blown away by that. Um, I don't think most people realize the impact you're going to have in their life. I understand we have a lot of friends that are same-sex couples and they have children, and I understand that, and, and that's not uh, where I'm an area to, to deliberate. But there has to be a feminine side to raising young people's side. There are times when my children will go to my wife before they'll come to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they never come to me. Sometimes they come to me before they ever go to her or they never talk to her. It depends on the issue. Absolutely. And you need both sides. I remember sometimes we would ask you to be our intermediary to, with dad. Mom, can you tell dad? <laughs> right? And we have to say, well, well sometimes you would say as we got older anyway, you tell your dad yourself. See, I I think your dad was my first student. Yeah, that's right. Because when he came, he was a businessman, and he n- would never work for anybody. He worked for an oil uh, gas station one time. I think it lasted two months. Yeah. He was always his own man, and to this day, he's his own man. He, he will not uh, work for someone. For him, it was always a sense of pride. Absolutely. It wasn't always a financial thing. That's why I, I, I didn't grow up understanding how the, the benefits conversation uh, that you work at a job and you expect them to pay you more money or you expect them to give you benefits when the job's job is to make sure the company succeeds. Mm-hmm. It succeeds by taking care of its employees, but not in that order. Right. Right. It's the, the employees have a job to do. And if you don't like it, I'm okay with that. Then you find another place to work. Exactly. We're not a, a prison uh, work world like the old USSR where it's, you take a test when you're 12 or 14 years old and they say, you're going to be an engineer or you're going to be a gymnast or you're going to be an architect and you're going to be a janitor. And they start funneling you into mm-hmm. the different jobs and that's it. Your job is over. Your life is over. Yeah. We are here where you want to go back to school. I was with somebody the other day. He's a physician. He went to medical school. At 41 years old, because he was tired of being a lawyer oh my after goodness. graduating law school. Right? <laughs> More in, in power to him. He said, oh, I was a, a lawyer for 20 years. I was bored. I <laughs> want to become a physician. And now he's 70 and he's a physician. Oh, my goodness. So as we go through life, understand that you have the choice. There is no place in the world like the United States. This is uh, still an experiment. 
this 200-plus-year-old experiment is still an experiment. I don't know if you guys are going to keep it, if you're going to start whittling away at the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. But it all comes back to one person in your life day to day, and that's your mom. So thanks, Mom, for being here today. Thanks for being a part of my show. Thank you. special edition. Thank you for the invitation. Anytime. You're welcome. (laughs) That's my mom, folks, Donna Hallaby. She's always a part of our show. Thanks for uh, indulging me, and thanks for joining me on this special edition of the Total Financial Hour. She's who I am, why I am who I am. It's this lady here, Donna Hallaby. (laughs) I'm Eric Hallaby, your place for news talk information every uh, time this week, uh, every hour this day to Sunday. You'll be able to get a hold of us at 11 a.m. Give us a call if you have a question at 888-99-RETIRE. That number works all week long. comes right to my office. You can uh, set up a phone appointment if you have any questions. I'm your retirement guy. If I can help, it be my pleasure. Thanks for joining me on your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870, The Answer. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably, thanks to Arif Halaby. The Total Financial Hour is brought to you by Total Financial Solutions. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.